Hey everybody, and welcome to Trans Sister Radio, a story thus far podcast about everything trans. I'm your trans sister, Erin. And I'm your trans sister, Athena. And let's just go ahead and get started today. What are we talking about today, Athena? Well, okay, so before we start talking about what we're going to talk about, we should mention there's probably going to be a lot of stuff in here that's going to be, you know, su- so super hard trigger warning for this episode, because if you couldn't tell by the likely title of this episode, not that we actually have a title for it, because we're recording it, but pretend we have a title, and that title has something to do with dysphoria, which is what we're talking about today. So we're talking about um, causes of dysphoria, we're talking about um, possible ways to deal with dysphoria, and things that have helped with us um, to handle dysphoria in our lives in whatever forms it pops up. So it's a pretty important topic, but if, if hearing things talked about, um, such as, you know, causes of dysphoria is something that upsets you, then, um, maybe this isn't the best episode to listen to, but hopefully the useful advice at the end about ways to deal with it and not the end, like that's the meat of it. Like realistically, we're going to talk about causes for, you know, less than 20% of the episode, but we ramble, so I can't guarantee that. And then... <laughs> We're going to talk about ways to deal with it, which I think will hopefully be helpful. Maybe. We'll see. All right. Uh, and before we really get started, just one more thing. Uh, these coping skills that we will be mentioning, I just want to state that these are things that have worked personally for us. We will not know what will work for you. Uh, only a real trained therapist who's going to work with you one-on-one can tell you stuff like that. However, uh, these things may be beneficial to you. They may not. So please, if you're having trouble... Uh, I really urge you to go out and seek real professional help. Well, yeah. Yeah, no, 100%. And also, like, this is something we probably should have talked about last week, that we should have mentioned last week, assuming this goes up at some point. Whatever. Anyway, point is, the last episode we should have talked about that. Um, So when we started doing, like, for us, I think this kind of came up when we were talking about our kind of journeys. But um, I cannot stress enough... Um, I hear this question a lot, which is like, how do I know if I'm trans? The answer is gender therapists. Um, They're a huge help. So um, everything we talk about is just stuff that's worked for us, stuff that we find useful or interesting. Um, And, you know, maybe it's good ideas that you can try out for your own to see, but um, gender therapists are kind of the best at pretty much everything, even though they cost money, sadly. All right. So let's go ahead and get started. So, uh... I figured it'd be a good starting point to just kind of figure out, you know, what what is that word, the dysphoria, and, you know, a quick look on the uh, websites that you can find somewhere on this thing called the Internet. Uh, the basic definition that you find is it's a state of unease or generalized dissatisfaction with life. Uh, and for trans people, that usually shows up as, well, with your body specifically and the gender roles you've been assigned, the gender you were assigned at birth, uh, and the attributes that that puberty uh, has given you versus what the internal workings of, you know, your brain and all that uh, really feel like they need to be, so. Yeah, that's pretty good clinical, I don't know if that's the clinical definition, but it's a good definition at the very least. the internet definition. Uh, (laughs) The internetical Oh, oh, let's not Clinter. go there. It's the Clinternet. No, it's just a guy named Clint with a big with a big beard, just <laughs> sitting there going, "Yep, that's it. I think it's that." Right, there it is, the Clinternet. There's just some guy sitting in a corner, reading that stuff. It's like, "Hey, did you hear? There was this thing called news. It was fake." 
Oh my gosh. Okay, sorry, that was so, a terrible uh, joke. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Athena, do you want to get started with you? Uh, what are some ways that dysphoria shows up in your life and just maybe some triggers, what it feels like, what your generalized experience is with your dysphoria? All right, this is hard because um, I have gotten to the point that I consider myself very lucky in transition, which is that I don't actually feel a lot of dysphoria these days. Um, there is still some, um, especially around like genitals and breast area and because I am, you know, still waiting on surgery. Um, so, but at the same time, like that dysphoria has died down significantly because I have a hard deadline, which is less than two months away of when those go away. So like at the time of this recording, I don't know when it is for when you lovely listeners are listening to it or handsome listeners, whichever ones floats your boat. Or trans um, siblings. Yeah. Trans, that's a good, I need to remember that more often. I'm going to start writing that in our show notes. Just get a I'm just going to be like, trans siblings, cover the whole page with trans siblings. So I'll see it and remember it. Um, but for me, I think like um, dysphoria is something that's sort of in the past. There are exceptions to that. Um, I do still get dysphoric about things like my voice because um, I'm kind of paranoid that it'll slip back into what it used to be. Uh, I'm, I've am i had this ongoing issue of having a raspy throat, so my singing voice is basically dead, and I really need to go see a specialist about it because like, it's kind of a problem. But it just means overall I still get dysphoric about my voice more often than I did when I was first went full-time. Um, body hair is a cause of dysphoria, um, pretty big one, uh, especially facial hair, although I have had lasers, so it's not as big of a problem as it used to be, although it does still show up, especially on my chin, like literally five minutes before we started recording, I shaved my chin because <laughs> fuck that hair. Yep. Um, absolutely. Those are, I think like the biggest physical causes these days. Um, a big one that used to be a huge cause was like my weight. Um, cause when I started, uh, my transition, I was, uh, a little over 300 pounds. Um, now I'm currently sitting at 202. So, um, I had to lose a lot of weight before I was kind of happy with my body. And so before, like even after starting hormones, I was pretty much dysphoric every day just from having, you know, lots of weight and it all being in the wrong area. Cause male weight is distributed very, very differently from female weight. And it was pretty obvious. Most noticeably, despite having never drank a beer in my life, I had a beer belly. Because fuck me, apparently. <laughs> but um, so once those are kind of gone, that was a, a big source of dysphoria gone. Uh, but I think those are the most common, like, physical causes for me at the very least. All right. Uh, some other minor ones I'm forgetting are shoulders and hand size because I have big meaty hands that aren't quite as meaty as they used to be but they're certainly not as dainty as i would like <laughs> yeah yeah what about you what are some causes of dysphoria before we talk about what dysphoria feels like right uh so for me a lot of mine are they are similar to yours but what is the largest factors are are different uh for me right now it's my chest that is the absolute 100% worse about it. Though it is, uh, I'm a month on HRT at this point, it is better. Uh, but it's obviously not gone. Uh, you you mentioned that feeling of that dysphoria isn't so bad because you have a hard set deadline. And for me, that deadline was when I was starting HRT. And I can say that 
before I even had that deadline, my dysphoria was really, really bad. And, like, even the breast forms that I wear, uh, they kind of helped. But in some senses, they hurt. And so the chest is such a really, really big area for me. Uh, my legs are, well, I should say were a really big issue, uh, all throughout my life. Uh, I hit a point where I grew leg hair and it was super dark, like lumberjack legs, like just terrible, terrible hair. And from that point forward, since like the age of 12, I literally never wore shorts. I only wore blue jeans, and that was it. I wore blue jeans for 12 and a half years of my life because I hated seeing hair on my legs, but I would also get teased if I shaved it, and there was a whole thing with masculinity and not wanting it, but being expected to live up to it and all of that in there. So they they caused a really big problem, and the very first thing I did when I came into myself was shave them to take care of that. Uh, so they are not as big a trigger anymore, thankfully. Uh, but they do get back when the leg hair gets bad, and so it's not totally gone. Uh, they're, they're not something that I don't have to think about. Uh, my facial hair and facial structure, actually, uh, are some more triggers. The facial hair, more than the structure nowadays, uh, I'm feeling some of that HRT really uh, flesh out the more angular bits of my chin, which is good. Uh, but the hair is still there. It is very, very coarse still, and it very much hurts to shave a lot of the time. And it's been that way because I have something else called EDS, which already makes my skin really stretchy and sensitive. And when I shave, the razor tends to tug uh, rather than pull. And I use a double edge and all that. But there's just certain areas of my face that just don't shave well. But I do it pretty much every day, because I need to. Um, aside from, you know, facial hair, chest, and leg hair, I actually don't have a lot of other things that cause me notable dysphoria that I can see happen every day. Like, those are the things that are daily problems for me, but um, I, I feel it. Like you mentioned in the shoulders, I do feel that. Uh, I feel like I'm very boxy up top, and that's... That's not great. It does hurt my reflection a bit. Uh, my Adam's apple is large, very large, uh, even for somebody who is uh, AMAB. It's it's out there. Uh, so that that's a cause that happens maybe a few times a week. I catch a glimpse of it or in my shoulders, and I just kind of feel, you know, it hurts. Uh, oh, uh, well, we'll talk about what they feel like later. Uh, one thing that is, it's a very, very slight trigger, uh, but my genitals actually are not a terribly large amount, uh, large trigger for dysphoria for me. Uh, they are there. I don't want them. I am looking somewhat in the future to get rid of what I got and go for, uh, SRS surgery like Athena, uh, but... It is not the thing that is on the top of my list. The thing that is on the top of my list is absolutely that breast augmentation if HRT does not uh, take care of that source of dysphoria, which it seems to be doing a fairly well job of. So I may move up to things like, uh, you know, 
Adam's apple reduction surgery or tracheal reduction surgery, uh, maybe facial feminization. I don't, I don't know if I'll need that, but and things that you don't need it. And, <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, but maybe some other things like a uh, vocal cord, whatever uh, you heard in previous episodes and you'll hear it again. Uh, I have an extremely low uh, male voice that I will slip into because it gets tiring. Uh, this is not exactly a female voice, but it's feminine. Uh, and it's what I can disagree. <laughs> Thank you. It's what I can maintain. Uh, and if I try to push it into that female range, I hit the notes. I have the quality. It just sounds fake. It's not comfortable to speak in. It's not good to listen to. And so this is about what I'm going to be stuck with for the rest of my life unless I go for that uh, vocal surgery, which is a whole other bag of worms. It's like $15,000 very dangerous, very... Uh, I'm a music person, and so losing that ability is scary. So, dangerous in that sense, not, like, dangerous in other sense. So. But, uh, my voice is... Oh, I didn't even mention that. My voice is a really big trigger for me on a day-to-day basis. Uh, I, I'd put it up there with number two, honestly. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, mine used to be. Because it's one of those things that, like, Especially before you figure out a feminine voice. Because I would say, personally, I think you have a great feminine voice. Well, thank um, you. But not just spending the next 10 minutes complimenting your voice work. But um, the before you find a decent voice or a voice you're happy with. like Because I remember before I found mine, it was just like... That was probably my biggest reason for not going full time. Because it's like, I talk to people a lot. I talk a lot. I mean, I'm doing a podcast. Like, I talk <laughs> really? basically nonstop. I'd love to hear it someday. Crazy, right? I know. It's it's awesome. I'd love to have you listen to an episode. <laughs> anyway, uh, which is funny because I actually have a podcast I've recorded that Aaron hasn't heard Oh, that's heard true. Yet, so, uh, <laughs> boom. <laughs> gotcha. Anyway. Uh, I think that ha- having a voice that you're proud of is definitely, I think um, that was a huge trigger for me um, before going full time. Um, so did you, sorry, I kind of interrupted you, but did you have any others that you wanted to uh, No, those are really, really the the worst of it and the triggers. And as far as dealing with them, we can get into that in just a moment. But I think those are about it for me. All right. Well, then, before I think we get into, like, ways that we deal with dysphoria, let's talk about, um, we should talk about, like, how dysphoria feels for both of us, I think. Yeah. So, like, um, how about, do you want to start? Sure. How Uh, does dysphoria feel for you? uh, I mentioned my, uh, chest being that worst case, and, uh, this is not common, but it's also not terribly uncommon. For me, it is a literal physical pain. Like, there is discomfort, there is, like, a weird sensation, but uh, for me, it is a literal, like, hot cramp. I can kind of feel it right now, uh, but it's almost like the, the muscles that are attached to my breastbone are tensing up when they're not. Uh, it's it's painful, and I kind of have to massage the place to make me feel better. I don't Sometimes it does, sometimes it makes it worse, but for me, that is the that is the absolute worst part of it, is uh, looking in the mirror can trigger it, and I feel just that pain bumping into something, um, moving my arms a certain way, but that just cramp uh, is really hard to get rid of, though uh, it's gotten 
easier the more I've become practiced in identifying certain triggers to avoid them uh, and getting into some coping skills that are pretty helpful. Uh, the other way that, like, say my, my legs, uh, if the hair was still there or it gets bad, uh, it manifests itself in a pretty different way. Uh, instead of feeling necessarily painful, it, it's a little uncomfortable, but uh, for me, this is a little bit difficult to describe, but it feels like they're not mine. Uh, and Athena, I don't know if you feel... No. Exactly <laughs> yeah. Uh, for years, even since, like, like I told you, the moment they started really growing in dark, uh, I would look at my legs and it would feel like I was some Frankenstein monster. Like, my top half didn't have the sensation that I connected to this lower half. Like, that should not be it. Like, I was some little Lego person that needed to be detached and put onto the right body kind of thing. Uh, and so my legs were just... I I hated them. I had horrible body image issues over a lot of things, but I never talked about my legs. I never showed them. I did everything I could to hide them. Uh, and that was... It wasn't painful, but it was disturbing. Uh, and I think that's probably the most accurate way I can describe that. Uh, so that that's those are probably the two big feelings that I can really pin down at the moment. Uh, when it comes to when it comes to my face, the nose, the Adam's apple, that's more like a judgmental. Thing. That's very much in the head of body image issue of you don't look good enough, you don't do this, uh, or you look like this, and just really hurtful things that my brain kind of starts going off and telling myself. So uh, that that's a little way some my dysphoria can manifest when in regards to those. But ver varying triggers, like I've told you about, and some that I'm I'm gonna forget and remember later. Uh, they they all fall into those three categories of triggering a ring of, you know, self-deprecating comments, uh, physically being painful, uh, which is not entirely related to my chest, but it is not consistent enough in other areas for me to pin down, or uh, just feeling like that is not my body kind of thing. So, uh, like, my voice falls into number three. Uh, it feels like it's not my voice kind of thing. So th those are the three sensations I can really pin down for me. And it, and it does show up differently for other people, which is why I want to hear uh, how Athena experiences these things. So, Okay, cool. Uh, so one thing I want to do that I, I should have maybe prefaced earlier. I don't know. Anyway, um, well, I guess I kind of said it. But what I'm about to say is going to make it sound like I have really bad dysphoria. But I do want to stress that. Because I don't want to discourage people and make them think, well, transition doesn't even fix dysphoria. So, oh, no, no. Like, this transition does help. Um, for me, it's just, I still have dysphoria. It's just drastically reduced in the amount of times I experience it. So I don't want to discourage anyone with what I'm going to say. Um, so I think the biggest one for me in terms of, like, the way dysphoria feels is that feeling of this is not my body or this is not me. Um, when I first figured out I was trans and started like paying attention to those signs, 
it was pretty much constant. Like I would wake up in the morning and this happened probably three to four days out of a week. Um, I would wake up and have this like, I don't know if it's because I was coming out of a dream, which prior to hormones, I almost never remember my dreams. I dream a lot more these days, interestingly enough. Don't know why that is, but um, prior back then it was like maybe I'd had a dream that I didn't remember um, or something like that. But when I would wake up, um, I would have like this intense feeling of like slowly coming into figuring out that I was stuck in this body, and like it would be, it would almost feel like someone had like on the while I was waking up, someone had swapped my brain with someone else's is the best way to describe it. And then I had this like complete detachment from my body and this experience that like this was not me. And it was almost like this kind of like, I guess, almost waking nightmare to wake up and be like, no, this is me. I am stuck with this body. Um, And that was that was constant. That was probably, like I said, four out of seven days every week. Um, You know, looking in the mirror, it was it would take time to register that that was me because my brain was like that's not supposed to be you exactly yeah um yeah that was that was the biggest one and it just led to you know um you know basically this feeling of I guess I would say like worthlessness like I felt like this isn't me I can't be the real me I'm I'm not me and it was like depression um frequent crying that sort of stuff um and I would say almost every time I have dysphoria that's the feeling is the feeling it's like it shouldn't be this way this shouldn't be me um almost this like sense of like my brain is being forced to confront a reality it doesn't want to live in um i don't think i really have dysphoria outside of that like um i will sometimes just experience like like see things that just make me sad or that make me embarrassed. Nowadays it's mostly just being embarrassed. Yep, absolutely. Um cuz it's like i get yeah, I get, like, intensely self-conscious about facial hair, like I mentioned. So I frequently, like, run my hands over my face like I'm doing right now because I'm talking about I'm facial doing hair. doing it, too. Where I will, like, <laughs> yep, I will check for facial hair. And if it's there, I will, like, scratch at it until it goes away or until I inevitably just shave it when I get home. Um, so it's that sort of stuff. It's, like, being embarrassed nowadays, whereas in the past it was just I was always like constantly felt like I was in the wrong body. And an interesting thing that happened as part of transition actually is that's flip-flopped. And what I mean by that is it now is a cause of euphoria instead of dysphoria, but my brain is the thing that misgenders me the most still. Um, It will call me male in my head. Last night I had a dream about being male. I'm so glad it's not just me. Um, Yeah, no, like that, that is the most i think annoying thing i think another really annoying one especially nowadays when i tend to get dysphoric and it'll just kind of sneak up on me i'll just get this feeling of like uneasiness uh i'll get this like nauseous pit in my stomach and then it's like oh hey i'm dysphoric and the way i usually find figure that bit out is because i'll i'll look at a mirror and my brain will not click my brain will be like you are not looking at you that is not you and my brain still has a mental image of some fat guy from 2016 and that mental image is still stuck around almost constantly when i think of myself i do not see the face i see in the mirror or pictures 
something I was talking uh, with my therapist about was that when I flip through the pictures I've taken on my phone, because I take quite a few selfies these days because I'm quite proud of how be. I look nowadays. But my brain, thank you, my brain doesn't recognize it as me. Almost never. Like, my brain responds the same way as pretty pictures of other people to pictures of me. Um, and that's something that, like, despite having been full-time for over a year, I am still trying to get my brain to connect the dots. It is very slow at connecting the dots. So um, that, I think, is kind of how I experienced dysphoria today. And it's basically just the opposite of how I experienced it in the past. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so, which is not a thing I expected from transition. But transition doesn't, like, for me, it didn't get rid of dysphoria. It just drastically reduced it significantly. And I don't think... I don't think I'll ever be free of dysphoria, even post-surgeries. I just think there will be fewer triggers for it, if that yeah. makes sense. Like, you'll still experience dysphoria. It just might not. Or I might. I will probably still experience dysphoria. I just won't necessarily have a trigger for it. It, um, it may not so, be, like, a, a daily experience for you. Yeah. Because well, I mean, of already it's not a daily experience for me. At oh, most, it's probably, <laughs> it's probably a three or four daily experience. Um, and that's just because, like... I th- I tend to think for my brain, dysphoria is a case of, like I mentioned, like being stuck in a reality. My brain experiences dysphoria as being stuck in a reality it doesn't want to confront. And so being called a girl and living full time as a girl and having my f- name be permanently changed, having my gender marker changed, like basically reality is constantly smacking me upside the face saying, hey, you're a fucking girl, just fucking accept it. So my brain has just kind of learned to like, okay, geez fucking okay all right stop hitting me i get it um that's kind of my brain nowadays it's like reality is just constantly yelling at me um it has with the subtlety of a freight train um so i think for me that means dysphoria has decreased drastically because my brain can't lie to me anymore well that's awesome yeah it's it's great side effect of transition which is why i what one out of what a hundred percent of Athena Slytums would recommend um, transition. <laughs> Doctor approved. Uh, absolutely. I mean, literally. Maybe cut out my last name there. <laughs> no, don't. <laughs> Never mind. It doesn't matter because my last name's associated with the network. So literally anyone who's listening to this podcast could listen to my last name. Go find <laughs> it with like a two second search. So never mind. Who fucking cares? <laughs> All right. So uh... anyway. As far as dealing with those feelings, uh, do you want to start with how you manage it? Do you want to get into what I've been talked by my therapist? Are there coping mechanisms that uh, I, I'm sure that with your therapist, you are probably seeing them a lot less frequently at the start, but I'm sure the methods you've had, uh, well, actually, I'm not sure about this. Have they changed from when you started transition to what they are now? Are you having to use different uh, styles of coping methods yeah. ways to okay. escape so this will be real interesting because you and i have talked a lot off the podcast because spoiler alert for our listeners we do talk outside of this podcast quite a bit really <laughs> it's crazy right Shocker. i know it's almost like we exist outside of a recording Shh. nuts anyway sorry i'm breaking the fourth wall i can't do that <laughs> sorry um but the the interesting thing i think from what i've learned from how you talk about the stuff that you've experienced with your therapist is my therapist does nothing that your therapist did. Um, <laughs> my therapist is not like your therapist seems to lay out like this. And I mean, you're going to talk about this, but 
um, almost like a scientific approach, like like here's the steps to solving certain things or here's ways to deal with things. My therapist was very much like, what's happened to you since I saw you and how does that make you feel? And because the thing for me when I go to therapy, what I go to therapy for is basically a place to vent my feelings because I am someone who... By my natural state of being is bottling up emotions and just like stuffing them away and until I have to deal with them. I'm much better at that nowadays than I used to be. Um, the advantage of transitioning, and um, I don't think this is a thing that will happen for everyone. I think I actually did have some sort of emotional dysfunction before taking hormones. Hormones have basically, it feels like I have emotions and I didn't used to. I had like... It basically feels like I went from being emotionally dead to having feelings. Um, so I'm much better at releasing my feelings because I recognize when I have them. Um, but for me, what therapy offers is a place to, for an hour, with no judgment whatsoever, say everything that comes to my mind and vent stuff. Um, for example, actually, here's a here's one um, that I should have mentioned as a cause of dysphoria, a former cause of dysphoria for me was actually being a top sexually. Um, so basically once I figured out I was trans and started working on transitioning, I didn't top at all for, I think it was over two years. I just refused. Um, because every time I would try and be dominant or use my natural equipment, um, it was like ending in tears like this. I would get super nauseous. I would um, almost immediately cry. It was bad. So I was like, I am a bottom and I'm going to be a bottom forever. By the way, for anyone unfamiliar with the terminology top and bottom, top is the dominant person sexually. Bottom is the submissive person sexually. It's the difference between doing the fucking and being the fucky. Perfect. Perfect. The perfect. Term. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, all right, I'm done. Um, so, the for me, actually, one thing my therapist like why talking is so important for me is I was talking to my therapist about this because um, after being involved with a trans girl, um, um, like as a in a kind of friends with benefits sort of thing, um, you know, she was okay. She was very much a switch. So she goes back and forth between between top and bottom, and I wanted to be able to provide both of the roles for which for whichever she was feeling. Um, and so I talked with my therapist about like why do I have dysphoria, and talking about that helped me figure out why I was dysphoric about it, which is basically potentially weird. Best way to describe it is my brain had an abusive relationship with old me, is the best way to describe it. Like my brain was basically scared of old me. Hmm. Um, to the point where in that therapy session, I cried about it. Um, so it was a very interesting conversation. That was a very different kind of dysphoria. Yeah, I, I can kind of um, see that, that, that feeling of experiencing something that you had pre-transition uh, really triggers a lot of things. I've ex I mean, I'm not very far into my own, but I've experienced certain things like that uh, as a really bad trigger, uh, like, going to certain family events that uh in the past you know i was in the closet i was very much putting on a mask and i experienced one of those really recently 
uh, after having come out to those involved, and the entire experience was really triggering to me. And so that's not something I expected, was just doing something that I have done previously as uh, AMAB instead of being a woman, uh, even if I'm in guy mode, like, it, it sets off a lot of bad feelings, a lot of bad thoughts, memories, and emotions, way of processing it now, uh, but I, I definitely, I can definitely see how that works, yeah. Yeah, I think um, it was very much for me that I was almost, I think I am very much kind of still to this day, and rightfully so, ashamed of how I used to act as a as a male. Because I have talked about, I, I think I mentioned in the last episode, and if not, I have definitely mentioned this to Aaron. Um, I was in an abusive relationship for like four years with a girl, pre-figuring out I was transgender. Um, and as abusive as she was to me, I was probably just as abusive back. And so getting in that mental headspace of that person was very dysphoria inducing to the point where like I didn't realize that until I kind of talked it talked to my therapist about it and so for me I don't have this whole like 10 minute tangent has been on the fact that I my therapist never gave me like a specific coping mechanism there was never like well here's you know this specific technique to deal with dysphoria I don't have any of that perspective what I have is things that helped me um just, you know, in the moment. I don't have a method. I don't have a, you know, a specific thing. It's just like, this is something that helped me. Um, so like in the case of the one that I was just talking about, which is pretty specific, but, um, you know, maybe there's someone who feels the same way and this will help. But uh, what ended up working for me and why I can now be a top to somebody and not feel upset about it was old me was the, the reason old me was a top was because he wanted to orgasm. And so it was all for, and it, it feels kind of weird to refer to him in third, but whatever. It's better. It's less disorienting for me. So fuck Just it. Swing with it. Um, so the, the the point is that like it was all about getting off. It was never about the my partner. It was always just, you know, all about orgasm. That was it. So when I was topping this time or the last time I topped, it was um, just. Basically, I want to just focus on making my, the other person happy. And it was almost this form of, for me, foreplay. Like, we were actually having sex. But the best way to describe it was that it was foreplay, where I was just doing it for this person to make this person feel good and have a good Putting time. Putting the four in foreplay. Um, and that fixed it. Putting the what? four in foreplay. It's four. That's <laughs> uh, fair. Heyo. <laughs> but doom. Well, that, that's really interesting. And you, you mentioned about yeah. the difference between our, our therapists. And I think that's, that's more because we are... I mean, we have a lot of similarities, but we are very different in how we go about solving certain things. And so for you, that venting method is enough. That 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 is your go-to of just letting out what's bottled up. I haven't bottled stuff up since I got out of my abusive relationship that was I was in for about seven years. Uh, gosh, how long ago was that? It was about five or six years ago at this point. Uh, so... I've been able to feel like I could freely express myself, and I haven't had any issues keeping stuff in, uh, but I'm a very methodical person when it comes to problem solving. Um, and so with, with my therapist, she uh, really knows that 
I like to go in and have a plan A through Z uh, to take care of a problem if it arises kind of thing. Uh, so what, the things that work with me are, uh, I, I think it's going to be best if I describe it in this way, is that she tackles things uh, around the triangle method, which is you have a little, you have a three-point system where the top point, it doesn't really matter the order, but let's say the top point is your thoughts, and your thoughts connect over to the emotions, the emotions connect over to the actions, the actions connect to the thoughts, and that's just a cycle, it's just the three points how it goes. Uh, and for me, I have really good control over my actions, uh, and the emotions are something that you initially can't control. The way she described it is that uh, an emotion in its purest form is going to last, what, a second, maybe five, uh, longer, obviously, if it's more intense, but what's going to keep that emotion there are your thoughts propagating it, going over and thinking, this is how I feel, this is going to happen because I feel this way, or something like that. And so for me, I just fed into a really bad cycle of... Uh, well, for my dysphoria, before I had that date, uh, initially, I didn't have a way to counteract that feeling of, you'll never do this, you'll never have this, you'll never feel this, and so it was just a really big cyclical thing. I could not take an action uh, to stop the feeling. I didn't have a thought that I could use to stop it. Uh, and eventually what worked for me was, it's going to sound simple, was just Every time I felt like that was just simply almost like a mantra going, it's going to get better, it's going to get better. And for me, that got better every week that I went because that meant I was getting closer to maybe HRT, getting closer to fully transitioning, and then just kind of just putting a stop to the cyclical abusive cycle because that's really what it was, was just me mentally saying I'm never going to be good enough, essentially. Uh, and finding a way to really force myself in to that uh, thought process and putting a direct stop to it. She calls it thought stopping, and I believe that's the actual term for it. Um, and it works extremely well for me. Uh, another method is distractions, uh, which goes right back to the same thing. Everything's based around this little pyramid that works really well for me, maybe not so much for other people. I know that uh, for my partner, it doesn't work so great for her, uh, but that's because we're different people. It's going to require different things. Uh, the distraction stuff can work in ways that, like, you are in any situation. Um, you just take a moment and go, I'm reading or I'm looking at a picture. It has this color. It has this many of these objects. Or I'm passing by the street. This has this many tiles in the ceiling. You know, you are physically taking your brain out of the zone of focusing on yourself and putting it onto the outward world, uh, and really focusing in on the details there rather than the details on you. Uh, and that does not a hundred percent work a hundred percent of the time, but there are times where it does at least help stop that and let you get a foot in the door. Uh, which I don't use that one quite as often as the next one that I'm about to talk about, but I have used it to uh, some effect, which is good. Uh, and for me, the thought stopping where you just kind of have a little... I don't, I don't know even what mantra is from, but I don't follow whatever teaching that is, but just a phrase that you repeat over and over again, that works really well for me for whatever reason. 
but I accompany it also with removing myself in any way I can from a situation, and in instances of, say, family, that may mean that I take a step outside, I go to the restroom or something, and just take a little time for myself, or where I'm at work, where I literally am not allowed to leave the same room as some of the things that are causing issues, for me that may just mean taking a literal step into a less occupied space, closing my eyes and focusing on my breathing, uh, and going like one, two, three, four, five, six in, and then one, two, three, four, out, and then repeating that over until my heart rate kind of slows down and I can focus in again. Uh, and they are all methodical, they are all detailed, but they are how I think, and they work with me really, really well. Uh, so I'm, I'm sorry if I kind of interrupted you if I don't know if you were done or not, but I thought that was a really good kind of point to jump in. Yeah, uh, it's okay. You didn't really interrupt me. Um, I was cause like I, you started talking about your ways of dealing with it, but uh, I think that's, uh, kind of a good place for us to, for me to launch off of, because I don't have any ways that you were talking about that are like, um, that, that specific, that detailed, that right, intentional right. as it were. All of my ways are like just recognizing that I have a problem and I need to deal with it. Um, so, for example, one that really helped me a lot and probably the one that I used the most by far was I would find a video game that I had a female avatar in and play the hell out of it whenever Same. I had dysphoria. So, you know, um, and obviously, you know, if you're applying this to your own life, the use whichever gender is appropriate to you. But uh, the biggest one that helped me was actually World of Warcraft, because the thing about World of Warcraft as not as much as I don't I don't play it these days um, because it's not really the kind of game that I find that interesting unless I have people to play with. Um, The thing that was nice about it is you are your character in the with the other people you interact with. No one sees the person behind the monitor when they play WoW. They just see the the avatar. So if I have a female character that I am playing in World of Warcraft, everyone refers to me as female. And so playing a girl character there is a way of just completely escaping into this fantasy of being a girl, which for me was enough to kind of get my brain out of the whole, like, this is a problem, deal with it. Um, that was also true of like Skyrim, for example, cause I would make a female character in there. Um, in fact, one of my favorite mods in Skyrim was a first person mod that let you see your character's body because then I could like, whenever I looked down in the game, it was like surprise girl. <laughs> and that was, so that sort of stuff for me, a lot of my ways of dealing with dysphoria was, oh, you stupid phone. <laughs> Screw you, I put you... Okay, alright, I'm sorry about that. Well, no, I'm just gonna send you things to make that go off. I just put it on mute, thank you very much, so... No, you aren't. <laughs> Try. I dare you. Okay, um, sorry, you're gonna have editing work on this episode. <laughs> um, okay, so, anyway, um... The... And I think... Honestly, another one that, like, I kind of didn't let myself do enough until I was really, um... Gosh darn it, you were testing me, weren't you? <laughs> Dare accepted. You know what? I just what? want to point um, out that my next predictive text was that stupid Spongebob gif for some reason, so I sent it. <laughs> okay, now I have to actually see this. Great. Uh, visual humor. Oh my god, no. This is good audio no. listening, ain't it? 
This is great quality for our, our, oh, our podcast listeners. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. Thought nothing but the best. Okay. Um, we believe in straight visual quality here on our podcast network. Oh, my God. Anyway, um, I think another one that, like, I didn't let myself do enough when I was early on in transition was just, like, crying about it. Like, um, I was terrible at dealing with emotions, like I already mentioned, and letting myself just kind of accept that, like, I feel bad and I need to just, like, cry this out or lay down and kind of just let it happen and understand why I feel this way. Kind of uh, a surprising thing that helped with me, especially a little later, was just letting myself feel those emotions and trying to understand them. Um, That was something that ended up helping more than I thought it would because it was like once I would cry about it, I'd be like, okay, all right, it's had its moment. I can move on now. Um, so I, I, like I said, I don't have any like super specific ways to deal with dysphoria aside from that one really specific <laughs> tip about that very specific scenario. If you have problems topping, right, right. Um, just cause it's not, none of my stuff is clinical, but I think one overarching thing that really did help keep me stabilized was just having someone to talk Absolutely. to. For me, it was having my therapist where I could just unload on her for an hour and tell her, everything that had happened and everything that was making me feel upset and doing that the the thing the the reason why talking things out is so therapeutic for me is i solve problems by talking saying them out loud um so the longer i talk the more i understand what i'm trying to say and the more that helps me put into context what i'm feeling and so having that outlet um was like incredibly useful for me because it it meant that she wasn't giving me the tools to deal with my emotions. I was giving them to myself by figuring right. that out. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, so I can't I can't recommend that enough. And which is why, like, every time I hear somebody ask the question, am I transgender? How do I know? I'm just like, just go to a therapist. Because, like, having the ability to talk it talk about something in a non-judgmental place is yep. phenomenal. There are also free support groups you can go to. Um, which I think we kind of touched on last, last week, but, or last episode, I'm going to keep saying last week and last episode interchangeably. So on (laughs) this podcast, if I say the word week, I mean episode, regardless of what our upload schedule ends up being. (laughs) Um, so I think like, um, support groups can be really helpful for certain types of people. They weren't so helpful for me because I kind of needed like the full hour to talk. Um, but for some people they can be very beneficial, um, so just kind of look around and, and see, you know, whether there are therapists or support groups in your area for being trans. If you find yourself struggling to put your feelings, uh, into, or like understand and, and deal with your feelings. Right. Uh, we have one that I went to for the very first time. Uh, it's a subsection of PFLAG. I could not tell you what the acronym stands for. I think I mentioned this maybe last week. Um, but it, it was really great getting uh, getting to hear all the different perspectives and people who have different experiences. Um, we actually had a therapist there in the room who uh, themselves was non-binary. Uh, and they were a really nice 
resource because they could say, oh, I know this therapist in the area who also knows how to deal with this and this and this. And so you, you never really know who you're going to meet at those things. Um, I, I really recommend going. Some, like PFLAG, eventually ask for a membership fee, uh, but I, you can just go and say, hey, I'm doing this, I'm having trouble with this, or you can just show up and if they bug you, say whatever. So, like... <laughs> And the the help they provide is far more important than membership fees because your health needs to come first. So, just obviously don't put yourself into debt, right? Because your health needs to come first. Like your health needs to come first is like, oh, therapy is a thing you pay for, but not like, oh, my health needs to come thir- first, so I'm going to take a twenty thousand dollar loan out and get SRS right, right now. <laughs> That's, That's not, not health coming first. Do do, yeah. Again, that's a different kind of not healthy. So just health comes first is important, but I just want to stress that. (laughs) Don't make that decision. All right. Well, uh, that seems like a pretty nice spot to end on. Shall we uh, share what our really silly thing is for this week to end such a uh, little bit of a downer of an episode? Yeah, I think we definitely need to kind of pick me up. Although, like I said, like this is, there's a lot of heavy stuff in this episode but at the same time like it's it's potentially useful ways to deal with that sort of stuff right. um and i think you know having tools at your disposal that can help you deal with things is important and actually that was something i wanted to mention aha tools at your disposal was the the word to remind me that um but having i think one of the things that i can't stress enough is developing a way to handle you know, surprising or upsetting emotions early on when transition. Because the thing is, like, if you can hand, if you can develop a tool set to deal with dysphoria, you can develop a tool set to deal with people who are assholes to you after you go full time. Absolutely. Or, you know, people who are rude to you when you come out to them. Um, having that tool set, and more importantly, having that support network that you can go to to talk to is probably the biggest thing you can do to both help with your dysphoria now and also help with your future transition steps going forward, no matter what those steps may be. I think not only that, but having the ability to develop a tool set just to handle a problem in general is a life skill worth having um, that I definitely didn't have before having to deal with all this (laughs) stuff. Um, So just having those tools at your disposal um, is always, always valuable and always useful. So I really can't stress that enough. Um, it's worth developing now before it gets hard later. Absolutely. Really silly thing. <laughs> yeah, really silly thing. So this is something you introduced me to. Yes, I did. And I adore it. I have binged, I think, like 15 or 16 episodes of it while working. Good. And it is another podcast. So I'm going to let Aaron do most of the spiel work here, but I'm just going to assume that if you listen to this podcast, you probably enjoy listening to podcasts. Um, I could be wrong. Don't, I don't want to assume anything, but you are listening to a podcast, so I think it's a fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the podcast we're talking about is The Adventure Zone. It's a D&D podcast um, that is pretty much all comedy. There is story, but it's mostly comedy. Uh, and the people who do it are hilarious. So I will let you talk about this, Aaron, because you told me about it and I adore it. 
All right. So uh, the Adventure Zone is actually a Maximum Fun Network podcast that is run by the McElroy family. Uh, their littlest brother, Griffin McElroy, is their DM. And he does a lot of things. But uh, this is my first podcast that I ever actually latched onto that got me listening into podcasts in the first place. Uh, and all it is is these three brothers and their dad playing on an adventure, initially starting out with the starter kit of Lost Minds of Fandelver. Uh, and Griffin makes his own massive, just no way to describe it other than just tapestry of what this turns into, and the entire thing is hilarious. You will laugh, you will cry. It is beyond amazing. Uh, Athena, I don't remember what episode you said you were in. You were, like, just barely starting at the beginning, but it gets so much more wild and so much more funny. Uh, and I can't wait for you to get to it, and I can't wait for our listeners to go ahead and experience this as well. I will say this is a very uh, inclusive podcast. Uh, the characters they experience are uh, all sorts of people of color, uh, at different genders. Uh, they have, as part of the main cast that comes in later, they have a uh, transgendered female uh, in the group, which is awesome. And uh, I got mistakenly... Uh, well, somebody thought I was cosplaying her when I went to go see their live show last week, which uh, was both sweet and funny and says a little bit about my wardrobe choice, I guess. But uh, <laughs> this is just amazing. You will love every second of it. Go, go listen to The Adventure Zone right now. Yeah, I, uh, I have never laughed as hard at a podcast as I have listening to them. Legitimately, I have had actual, literal knee slappers listening to them. Um, it is phenomenal. A great time. Uh, and their DM is definitely good at painting word pictures. Um, I am on, by the way, I'm on episode 18. So there you go. So, uh, really, <laughs> really so great way to, to listen to <laughs> really, really great way to laugh and, uh, you know, let go of some steam and just have a good time. So um, I really do recommend that a lot. This has been Transistor Radio, a Story Thus Far Network podcast. Uh, if you have topics you'd like us to talk about, please send us an email at staff at storythusfar.com with either TSR or Transistor Radio in the subject line. You can also send us a tweet at our Twitter account at Story Thus Far or our Facebook page, which you can find at facebook.com slash story thus far. And if you're like me and you can't remember anything for more than 30 seconds, you can just head to www.storythusfar.com and find everything I just mentioned and even more wonderful content. So thanks for listening to this episode of Transistor Radio. We'll catch up with you next time, but for now, end of transmission. Bye. Okay, so before I turn off my thing to record, um, since there's actual stuff that you'll have to edit out in this episode, mm -hmm. uh, a thing that I was going to do on my other episodes, on my other podcasts, is um, record, like, we're recording everything um, on, like, my, my game podcast, so it just, the recording goes for four hours, but the episodes are one hours each. Mm -hmm. So a thing you could do that might be fun <laughs> that I'm doing on the other one is after the outro, and like outro music, I'm gonna have this is a 
idea I'm blatantly stealing from the Game Informer show. <laughs> they will have like 30 t- seconds to two minutes of stuff that happened in the episode that they had to cut because it didn't go with the episode but was still funny. <laughs> so you might have fun including some stuff after the outro. Sure. Um, and so we could just, you know, do that if you want to. I'll, I'll consider uh, it and see how it goes. Out. I kind of like it. Yeah, I think it's a. I I really like it. So uh, <laughs> I figured I'm also recording this, so that way if you do it, yeah, you too. can include my explanation of it, and our wonderful listeners will be like, "Whoa, they talked about doing this crazy." So anyway, insane. Right. Yeah, we talk behind the scenes about how to do our podcast. We oh my god! We don't god. talk outside this podcast. What are you talking about? Oh. We cease to exist as soon as I hit stop record, which is why I'm so hesitant to stop recording. I don't want to stop existing. <laughs> Please, no, I have more Breath of the Wild to play. Go to that so that my computer doesn't melt from this hour-long recording. (laughs) Deal. All right, now I'm going to stop recording. Goodbye, cruel world! Oh, wait, that's not the stop button.